That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Walters would love to host your next event. Go to waltersdc.com and click on private events to get in touch with us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Belt throws home. Garrett hits a high drive to right center field and deep. Way back on this one goes Daza to the warning track, looking up at the wall, and it's going to go! An opposite field three run homer for Stone Garrett. Now the set of the pitch. Swing and a line drive, base hit, hit hard into left field. Abram scores from third, call being waved home. Throw to the plate is cut off, and he slides across on a single to left. Two runs batted in for Stone Garrett. A pop fly, a bunt up the first base side on the squeeze. Fielded by Mustakas. He'll flip to the second baseman covering it first in time for the out. Thomas comes in to score. Safety squeeze bunt for Victor Robles. He'll get an RBI, second of the year. The Nationals lead 7-2. The kick, and here it comes. Swing and a drive to deep right. Thomas going back, way back. He's watching. It's going, going. And gone, goodbye, a long home run into the second deck over the Rockies' bullpen. And with nobody out here in the bottom of the ninth inning, it's now the National 7 and the Rockies' 4. Here's Edwards coming set, runner second and third, he could use the strikeout. The kick in the 3-2, swing and a ground ball, fair! Inside the first base bag, down the line, into right field. And it's now a one-run game, the National 7 and the Rockies' 6. Edwards tries to end it here. He comes set. Runners lead first and second, two out. Bottom of the ninth. Edwards kicks the livers. And a swing and a miss. He struck him out with a changeup. And bang, zoom, a curly W's in the books. Take a deep breath. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 9th. 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Coors Field. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It was not easy, but the Nats have themselves a winning streak in this 2023 regular season. Yes, I said winning streak. You know, that thing that a team can do winning at least two consecutive games. The Nats, they have won two consecutive games. Friday night, a 10-5 win at the Colorado Rockies, and now Saturday night, a 7-6 win at the Rockies in game three of a four-game series. That's now three and six. Stone Garrett, a monster game, four for five, 
five RBI, nine total bases. Trevor Williams made it three good starting pitching performances for the Nats in three games at Coors Field. Uh, and yes, Anthony Banda and Carl Edwards Jr. made things rather interesting. Banda and Edwards in a bottom of the ninth that refused to end combined to allow four runs on five hits and a walk and combined for a staggering 44 pitches. The Nats nearly blew it, nearly blew a 7-2 ninth inning lead, but they ultimately did not blow that lead. And Mark, <laughs> they won the game. What a game that ended up being. So you know how opening day here at Coors Field, we said one nothing. like, when do you ever see anything like that? We wondered, would we have more of a true Coors Field experience the rest of the weekend? Uh, yes, we had it both on Friday and certainly on Saturday, and it never really felt secure. I don't think to anybody in the ballpark, it did. They did everything they needed to do to get in that position, but you get to the bottom of the ninth in this park. It doesn't matter how many runs you are up. There is always the chance that that could happen. Credit to Carl Edwards. He made the pitch when he had to. It was, I mean, they were skating by this one. They were hanging on by a thread, but he made the big pitch when he had to to his old teammate, Chris Bryant. And because of that, they did not spoil Stone Garrett's career night. That would have been really disappointing to spoil that. Stone Garrett was a machine in this game. We're going to get to that. But I guess, you know, the last impression often is the one that sticks with you the most. I mean, what happened with the bullpen in this game, you really have to back up. So you had five Nats relievers who were utilized in this game. Hunter Harvey faced two batters, got the final two outs in the Rockies, one run six, although one of the outs was an RBI sack fly. Mason Thompson then pitched. He tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh, continuing his excellence this season. He only threw nine pitches, and then he got removed from the game. Kyle Finnegan ended up pitching the eighth inning. He tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth despite issuing a walk and then giving up a single. And then we have the Bonda and Edwards show in that bottom of the ninth. Bonda was a disaster. He faced three batters. He got no outs, gave up a leadoff opposite field single by Ryan McMahon to conclude an eight-pitch plate appearance. Bonda then gave up a full count two-run homer by Mike Moustakis on a bomb to right field to conclude a 10-pitch plate appearance and cut the Nats' lead to 7-4. And then Bonda issued an eight-pitch walk of pinch hitter Elaurice Montero. Then Carl Edwards Jr. came into the game. He got an out but gave up a one-out pinch double to Jerickson Profar down the first baseline. Then gave up a one-out full count two-run pinch single by Elias Diaz into right field to cut the Nats' lead to 7-6. Edwards did then get another out, but then gave up another hit, a two-out opposite field single by Yonatan Daza to right. And then Edwards mercifully struck out Chris Bryant, as Mark talked about, uh, struck him out on four pitches, in fact, to end the game. I guess the question would be this. Why did Mason Thompson only throw nine pitches? Why did Kyle Finnegan work the eighth inning? What was Davies thinking in his bullpen deployment on Saturday night? So as this was playing out in real time, Al, I was thinking these same things to myself and thinking, okay, I get what you're doing here, but you're setting yourself up for who's left in the ninth. And I was questioning it. I thought Hunter Harvey could have come back for another inning. He only threw five pitches to get out of uh, the sixth. And certainly Mason Thompson, we've seen him throw multiple innings in all of his appearances. Why couldn't he have come back? And then as I thought about it more, listened to Davey's explanation, I'm actually going to defend him here and I understand the process and what he was trying to do. So let's go back a little bit. Hunter Harvey gets a big out to get out of that jam and apparently he was pretty fired up after it. And Davey said he thought about maybe bringing him back out for another inning. But 
it's kind of cold here. We know Hunter Harvey's history of injuries. Davey felt like it might have been hard after he was so amped up to get out of that first inning of work, hard to get him back under control, come back out for another inning, and he would be pitching back-to-back days. So there's that. Mason Thompson, again, he's pitched multiple innings, so I think that's the one that maybe would have made the most sense. But you had the top of the Rockies lineup coming up. And Davey said he specifically wanted to make sure that Finnegan got back in another game after pitching well on Friday night, and he wanted him for that matchup for the top of the order. We've seen him do this. Just because a guy may be designated as the closer, if the bigger matchup is in the eighth, he's going to go to him there. So I understand the logic, the process with all that. What I think this boils down to is this. You have a five-run lead in the ninth inning and several left-handed hitters coming up. If you're going to have a left-hander in your bullpen, you have to be able to trust him to get a couple of those guys out. And Anthony Bonda didn't come close to doing that. So to me, it's more a reflection of who their personnel is and the fact that they're insisted on keeping a lefty in their bullpen, and yet you can't trust him to face lefties with a five-run lead in the ninth inning. Now, maybe you say, hey, he should just let Edwards start the ninth, and you know that's fine. But again, if a guy's going to be in your bullpen and you insist on having a lefty there, He's got to be able to get lefties out. He did not do that. To me, that's more about the construction of the bullpen than the deployment of the bullpen. I mean, I don't think there's a question that this does come down to you're up 7-2 in the ninth inning. You should be able to get three outs with an Anthony Bonda type, a Carl Edwards Jr. type. I mean, that almost qualifies as mop-up duty. Although, you know, as we talked about on the previous show, at Coors Field, a five-run lead does kind of feel like a three-run lead or a two-run lead. But yeah, I think what does stick with you, and this already has come up a few times, is Davey does kind of leave himself with no options in some of these ninth innings to where if things don't go well, then what? But yeah, I mean, you know, get three outs, man. We're not asking for a lot. I mean, the Banda and Edwards combined to give up the four runs. And again, 44 pitches. The Rockies were working these guys. You know, Banda and Edwards, especially Banda, would have guys down. Banda had each of the first two batters he faced in that ninth inning down one, two, couldn't put them away. They ended up working counts. Banda ended up putting them on base. So it was bad. It was really bad. But, you know, it just was odd because we're so used to seeing Mason Thompson work multiple innings. He throws nine pitches in one inning and then we don't see him again. And then Finnegan, you know, we're not used to seeing him in the eighth. Although, you know, when you looked at where we were in the Rockies lineup, that did, you know, make some more sense. So yeah, the Nats bullpen, not very good in this game. Remember, you also had the Erasmo Ramirez uh, struggles in the 10-5 win on Friday night. So the Nats getting two wins in this series, despite some shaky relief outings. But the Nats getting this win on Saturday night, in large part, once again, due to their offense. The offense has come alive over these last two games. Saturday night, seven runs on 11 hits to go with two walks and multiple extra base hits in this game, including a bunch of extra base hits by Stone Garrett. Boy, Davey may not have the Midas touch with his bullpen right now, but when it comes to his lineup these last two games, Alex Call in the leadoff spot Friday night, Stone Garrett in the number two spot on Saturday night. But again, raise your hand if you anticipated that. It was Stone Garrett who was the Nats starting DH and number two batter. All he did was go four for five with a three-run homer, two doubles, and a two-run single. Nine total bases. Remember, Stone Garrett did not begin the season at the major league level. The Nats brought him up from AAA Rochester on April 2nd as the corresponding roster move to putting outfielder Corey Dickerson on the 10-day injured list with his left calf strain. And what a performance by Stone Garrett in this game. So I will admit, I'm sure like others, when I saw him in the lineup for this game, I wasn't surprised 
by that, you know, facing a lefty seemed like a, a good spot to maybe get him in there. But seeing him hit it second, that definitely raised eyebrows for me. And it's like, what has he exactly done to merit that prime of a position in the lineup? And Davey said before the game, he really liked the matchup. They looked at different things. He felt like Garrett versus Gomber was a favorable matchup. And boy, was it ever. I like the matchup. I like the matchup with, I like Garrett on this guy as well. What he did in this game, I'll admit, I hadn't seen the guy a whole lot. He played this spring and you know started one other game this season. And the book on him has always been, when he makes contact, he hits the ball really hard. The issue is he doesn't make contact enough, especially on breaking pitches. Well, the most encouraging thing about what he did in this game here, his first inning double came on a fastball. The third inning homer came on a curveball. The fifth inning single came on a changeup. The seventh inning double came on a slider. He hit everything, both lefties and righties. He did it all. He made sure the pitches were in the zone. He wasn't chasing out of the zone, but he did damage on all of those different pitches, hit everything hard. That was a tremendous performance, and it's probably going to earn him a spot somewhere in the lineup again on Sunday. That wasn't going to be the original plan, but I think Davey has to admit you can't not put him back in after that. Now he's just got to figure out who's going to sit as a result. It really is one of the best individual games by a Nationals position player since we started doing this podcast. I mean, again, four for five, five RBI, nine total bases. Like, that's not common. And yet he did that in this game. Top of the first, the one-out double to deep left center. He had an ads three-run third, a one-out first pitch, three-run homer to right center for a 3 nothing Nats lead, 432 feet per stat cast. Garrett in an Nats two-run fifth, a one-out two-run single to left field for a 5-0 Nats lead. And Garrett in the Nats one-run seventh, a two-out double to left field on a 1-2 pitch. Boy, the Nats in this game were so good in plate appearances in which guys were down 0-2, 1-2, turning those plate appearances into productive at-bats. I mean, a lot of that stuff was happening in this game. You know, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Is this happening because the Nats are playing in the hitter's haven that is Coors Field? Is this happening because the Nats are facing a Rockies team that, let's be honest, isn't that good? Or is this happening because the Nats, bats finally are awakening here? But we really are seeing like a totally different offensive team, certainly these last two games. And it's so funny, right? Because in game one of this series, the Nats offense was still bad. And we were like, wow, is this team ever going to hit? Last two games, this team has hit. Yeah, I think some of this is the matchups. Let's be honest, they faced two really good pitching staffs during the homestand in the Braves and Rays. And Kyle Freeland, while not you know a big-time starter, can be pretty effective, especially for a Rockies pitcher. They faced a few guys the last two nights who are not nearly as accomplished, and you saw the result of that. But on top of that, I have seen some good approaches in these at-bats. Things like C.J. Abrams drawing two walks and doing so against lefties at times. Victor Robles continuing to have quality at-bats and getting down a safety squeeze in what at the time extended a lead to five runs. Well, that extra run proved to be incredibly important at the end of the night. So executing on a play like that. Stone Garrett, obviously what he's doing. Alex Call from the leadoff spot continuing to get on base. The quality of at-bats has been good. I'd say even for a few days prior to this when they weren't converting with runners in scoring position and that kind of thing, I do think they've done a better job. The results haven't always shown it. The last two nights, it absolutely has. Some of that I do think is the matchup, the location, all that. We'll see. I think there's going to be an interesting test in Anaheim next week. They're going to face Otani on Tuesday. That's a really tough matchup. I think 
you know, if we're going to draw any conclusions nine games in, this lineup really struggles against elite pitching, but it certainly has the ability to do a lot when facing inferior pitching. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Cape Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Even in the quote-unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer and founder of the podcast, here to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to your favorites shouldn't be so stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 3-2 Swing a high fly ball Shallow right center Daza playing very deep Comes racing in Still going Slides And makes a spectacular catch Then he dropped the ball He had it And then couldn't hold on to it And so Robles slides in Safely at second Good to see Joey Manessis with another extra base hit. He on Saturday night as the Nats starting first baseman and number four batter. Only one for five, but the one was a double. Manessis in the top of the fifth, a two-out double to the left center field gap despite having been down at the count of 1.02. You mentioned Victor Robles. So he in this game as the number eight batter, one for three with a double and that great run scoring safety squeeze bunt. So the double was a bit of luck. Robles in that Nats three-run third, a leadoff full count double on a ball uh, hit into shallow center field. The Rocky center fielder, Yonatan Daza, failed to make a sliding forward catch on it. He had the ball in his glove, and then as he rolled over, the ball came out. This reminded me, and I'm guessing like just about everyone watching the game of what you see in the NFL now, of like, did the pass catcher complete the process of the catch? And uh, it was ruled that Daza did not. The play was challenged by the Rockies manager, Bud Black, but uh, the call of no catch being made uh, was not overturned. You know, that's a tough one because Daza had the ball, and then it was like as he went to get the ball out of his glove with his non-glove hand, that hand almost like knocked the ball out of the glove. And it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, it did kind of look like he caught it, but he also didn't complete what we have come to know was like the process of the catch. So I don't know if the Nats got lucky there or not, but I do know that Robles got himself a double. And then that safety squeeze bunt. I mean, I don't know that you could have scripted it any better, drawn it up any better in a one-run eighth. I mean, a perfect one-out first pitch safety squeeze bunt toward the first base side of the infield. Lane Thomas scored. Nats go up 7-2. Victor Robles doing the little things. Fundamentally sound baseball execution by Robles uh, with that bunt. That's the thing, Al. It's not the numbers. I mean, hey, it's great that he's getting on base and he's hitting for high average and all that, but He's not making the mistakes that we've become so accustomed to in recent years. Executing on the first attempt at that bunt. How many times have we seen him square around and either foul it off or pull the bat back and get called for a strike, anything like that? No, he got it down on the first try. The defense has been outstanding. The decisions that he's making in the field have been outstanding. So you put that all together and then you're getting results that now match up with the the way he's playing. On the uh, the little blooper, I, w- I want to share this. I thought too, watching it and watching the replays, I thought, okay, he caught it and it's only after he's turning over and trying to pull the ball out of his glove that it comes out. But I actually did get the, uh, the circulated around like the official replay analysis of that from New York. And I didn't know this necessarily about how this works on catch or no catch in baseball. So the replay official definitively determined that the fielder failed to demonstrate firm and secure possession and complete control of the ball. Additionally, the fielder's release of the ball was not voluntary or intentional. So the call was confirmed. This was not a call stands because they didn't have enough evidence. They actually confirmed it 
on the evidence. And so I did not know this about that. You know, we talk about like losing the ball on the exchange. You see on double play turns, sometimes they give the out at second because he already had it. And then in exchanging it to his throwing hand, uh, it fell out. Well, when it comes to an outfielder making a catch like that, you do have to the release the ball to your other hand. It has to be intentional. You have to be trying to do it. It was still him rolling over that the ball fell out. And so that's why, according to New York, that did not count as a catch, even though it was a great effort on his part. And then what's funny is that later in the game, we had something similar happen with Alex Cole with Yonatan Daza batting. Uh, Trevor Williams in the bottom of the six got charged with a run after giving up a leadoff double by Daza. But, you know, this was kind of like the Victor Robles double. The ball was hit into no man's land in shallow left center and nearly got caught by Alex Cole. Not the same exact thing that happened uh, with the Robles double, but, you know, not that dissimilar either. So wild and wacky stuff tends to take place in games at Coors Field. We certainly have had that uh, here so far in this series. You know what's funny, too, about the Nats doing well offensively once again in this game. You had, say, Michael Chavis as the second baseman. You had Riley Adams as the catcher. We talked about uh, Stone Garrett being the number two batter. Alex Call was once again in the leadoff spot. I mean, I know that if you're if you're not a Nats fan, it's probably hard to tell the difference between like the Nats A lineup and a Nats lineup with some backups. But, you know, this was a lineup that had multiple backups playing, and yet still the Nats were able to produce to the tune of, you know, scoring seven runs, totaling 11 hits, and just looking a lot better offensively. I mean, four for nine with runners in scoring position. Yeah, on paper, this does not look like a very imposing lineup, but to their credit, they made the most of it. And obviously, Stone Garrett was a huge part of it, but there was no Dom Smith in the lineup uh, against the lefty, no Cabert Ruiz in the lineup, no Luis Garcia, who's dealing with the hamstring issue. So yeah, it, this was a B lineup, if you want to call it that. And and I also thought that maybe we'd see some changes later in the game. Davey kind of hinted at pregame that he arranged the lineup the way he did, thinking he might be having some pinch hits later on. And he didn't want to have all those guys bunched together in the same spots towards the bottom of the lineup. That's among the reasons that Garrett hit second. It turned out he didn't do that. The only change he made was Ildemaro Vargas for Chavis uh, for defensive purposes. And I'll tell you what, that was a good move because the underrated play of the game was Vargas's turn of a 5-4-3 double play from Bryant in the eighth. That was with Finnegan on the mound, was getting into a little trouble, two on, one out, a hard grounder to third. The turn that Vargas made, I don't know that Garcia makes that turn that well. I don't know that Chavis makes the turn that well. It was really smooth, really quick, and that got Finnegan out of that inning. Yeah, that was a key play for sure. Um, You know, just a lot of production from the Nats in this game defensively uh, and also offensively. I mean, I think about like Alex Cole, right? Two for five with a double and a single. Like he's doing a pretty good job here in these opportunities that he's being given. You know, Jamer Candelario, the numbers don't overwhelm you, but he had a big hit in this game. One run seventh, a two-out RBI single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch to put the Nats up 6-2. I mean, you look back at these later inning runs by the Nats, they take on increased importance with what ended up happening in the bottom of the ninth. Well, you know, it's uh, unfortunate what can happen with how these games play out. But, oh, by the way, the Nats starting pitching in this series has been terrific. Like, you know, <laughs> in another circumstance, we'd be like raving about that and leading with that. But, you know, it kind of gets lost with everything that's happened uh, over these last two games. But Josiah Gray and the one nothing loss on Thursday was good. One run in six innings, six strikeouts. 
Mackenzie Gore in the 10-5 win on Friday night was good. Two runs in six innings, six strikeouts. And Trevor Williams in this 7-6 win on Saturday night was good. Two runs in five and a third innings. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up five hits, two doubles, and three singles. But he threw a lot of strikes. 88 pitches, 62 strikes versus just 26 balls. And you look at the two runs that he was charged with. Bottom of the fifth, a run on a leadoff single by Harold Castro to right center field, and then a two-out RBI double by Brian Servant to left to cut the Nats' lead to 5-1. And then we mentioned what happened in the bottom of the sixth, that uh, quirky double by Yonatan Daza, and uh, that runner ended up scoring with Hunter Harvey pitching, and so Williams got charged with that run. But he did a good job, and I mean, all credit to the Nats starting pitching in this series. Really impressive work at Coors Field. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, it almost doesn't matter where they're pitching. You put up those numbers, you're saying, wow, that's really good work regardless of it. Now, what Williams did is the first time through the order for sure, and even a little beyond that, his first four innings, he gets through four scoreless on 52 pitches. So very efficient, keeping the ball in the zone, keeping the ball down the zone. The thing they've all done very well outside of maybe the ninth inning in this game, in this series, is they've kept the ball down, which is what you have to do at Coors Field. So he did a really nice job of that. And then, you know, I did think it was interesting. We talked about coming into the season because of his track record as a swing man. Would they let him go deeper in games? Will he be as effective the fifth, the sixth inning as he has to face a lineup the third time? You did see it finally start to come uh, undone a little bit. He had put himself in a good position and he certainly didn't get rocked after that. But like you said, the couple of hits in the fifth scored the run, and then he gets to take the mound for the sixth. He's facing the heart of the lineup for a third time. The bloop double gets Bryant to fly out, and then that's it. So Davey could have left him in, and maybe this could have solved the whole bullpen issue for the rest of the game if Williams had just finished the sixth inning. But I think you saw there an acknowledgement that at least at this point, they're not quite trusting of him in the same way they are of others to get through a sixth inning, to approach 100 pitches. Maybe he'll earn that right at some point, but it doesn't seem like he's there right now, and that might just be based on his track record as opposed to how he's actually pitching right now. It's interesting to me when you look at the five pitchers who currently constitute the Nats rotation. So you have Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray, the two young guys. Their performances matter the most. We've talked so much about those guys. You hope like heck that those guys are really good this season. Then kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, Patrick Corbin, Chad Cool, two veterans, two guys who have not been good in recent seasons. You know, you don't really expect much from them. Of course, you want them to do well, but, you know, no one's going to be stunned if they don't do well. And then to me, like kind of in the middle is Trevor Williams, where it's like, you know, I could see him being decent for the Nats this season. He certainly was pretty good for the New York Mets last season. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's been used as both a starter and a reliever. It's not like there's a substantial track record of success for him as a starting pitcher, but he can do it. It's not like he's, you know, some ancient veteran, you know, so maybe you can get a, they signed him to a two-year contract, so maybe you get a couple of good seasons out of him. So it's like, you're not really quite sure where to place him. I mean, he's not some promising young pitcher like a Gore or a Gray, but, you know, he could end up being all right for the Nats this season. And over his first two starts, I think he kind of has been all right for the Nats. He, he wasn't that bad in his first outing, and he was particularly good on Saturday night. Yeah, he had some bad luck in that first outing. Those little dribblers where he slipped off the mound and like a lot of soft contact that could have turned into outs and just didn't. He gave up two homers. But, I mean, let's talk about this. The three starters in this series have not given up a home run at Coors Field. 
How about that? Like I said, keeping the ball down, great sign. So yeah, I agree. I think there is potential there for him to be a good starter for them, not their number one or number two, but just a good solid starter. And I'm interested to see how this all plays out over the season. Does he prove that he can be a five to six inning effective starting pitcher who tops 100 pitches on a regular basis? Do they allow him to do that? Or do they say, nah, you know what? You're more of that uh, two times through the lineup. Give us five and we'll go to the bullpen kind of thing. We'll see. He's going to have to earn it, I think. But you said signed to a two-year contract, so it's not like they just view him as a stopgap here. They do think he can be somebody important for them, not just this season, but next season as well. Well, it will be fascinating to see if the Nats can make it four for four with starting pitching performances with game four of this series at the Rockies on Sunday afternoon at 310. And it will be Chad Cool pitching. And Cool did not have a very good season last season, but he had that season for, of course, the Rockies. Uh, Chad Cool, last regular season, 27 starts, just 137 innings, an ERA of 572 an ERA plus of just 82. But as we have mentioned previously, he did throw a shutout at Coors Field. June 27th, 2022, a three-hit shutout of the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers. So who knows what to expect? I mean, he obviously has experience pitching at Coors Field. Now, for the most part, those experiences were not good, but he did have a glorious experience there shutting out the Dodgers. But wouldn't that be something if the Nats in this series Four good starting pitching performances over four games at Coors Field. Well, I'll tell you what, they may have to do that because I'm not entirely sure who's available out of the bullpen for this one after all those guys needing to be used the last two days. Maybe the fact that he pulled Harvey and Thompson on so few pitches actually was in, you know, keeping in mind that he could bring them back on Sunday if needed. We'll have to see how that plays out. But, you know, the overall numbers last year for Chad Cool were not good. But look at his first half. He had a 3-4 ERA into July. And then he had issues with his hip and things fell apart for him in the second half of the year. So I would have to think that he comes in here with at least a little bit of confidence pitching well early in the year and probably a little bit of motivation as well to show the Rockies that, hey, I'm better than what I did for you guys last year. And, you know, he was given this opportunity because of an injury to Cade Cavalli. Who knows what kind of opportunity he would have had if not for that. I would get the sense that he's going to have some motivation here to show that he deserves this spot in the rotation. And uh, I think it's kind of a big start for him. We'll, We'll see how he handles it. And they may have to go 100 pitchers no matter what, because I'm not sure who is going to be able to be called upon out of the bullpen unless you want to go Thad Ward and Hobie Harris in a you know tight game that you're trying to win a series. They may have to. I mean, it is true. No off day until this coming Thursday, at least not scheduled. And you go from this four-game set to a three-game series at the Angels. So yeah, I mean, um, that may have entered into Davies thinking with the bullpen as well. Well, winning three or four at the Rockies would be nice. You, you never know what's going to happen on these trips out west. This has to be if not the earliest trip out West for the Nationals ever in a regular season, then close to it. I mean, this was, you know, series number three of the season and they're out West already. And yeah, to get three out of four uh, would be terrific. Well, hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email the great Tim Shovers at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at NatsChatPodcast and you can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy 
of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nat Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. And Newmark is spelled N-E-U-M-A-R-K. Nat Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com all over the globe. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Nice to have a Nationals winning streak here. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Two and one on Adams. Here's the pitch. Swinging a fly ball. Launched in the air to right field, and this ball is long gone. Matt Adams has four hits this season. They are all home runs, and he is now tied for the league lead with those four homers this year. It is 1-0 Rochester.